The following is from Red Hill Baptist Church, where we exist to glorify God, grow more like Jesus, and go with the gospel. To find out more about our ministry or to contact us, please visit redhillbaptist.org.
copy of God's Word, please, and find your spot this morning in the Gospel of Luke. And go ahead and find the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. You'll find is a very long passage of Scripture. And we're going to be there near the end in just a moment. Luke chapter 1. You know, beloved, our outlook is too small, too narrow, and too earthly. Our vision is stunted. We tend to view things a lot of the time, if I dare say most of the time, from a temporal or short-term view. Uh, we fail much of the time to consider God's purpose and God's plan for ourselves and for those that we love. And in doing this, I'm afraid that we rob God of much of His glory and we rob ourselves of much joy and excitement. Uh, there's so much more to life. I hope you know this. There's so much more to life than being born and then plodding through each day, um, sometimes dragging yourself through each day, and then dying. There's so much more to life than that. I'm reminded of some precious words in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, where it says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. And salvation is not a reward for good things we've done so that none of us can boast about. Within verse 10, I'll put it on the screen for you. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. I want you to think about that. Those of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior, those of us who are saved, that's who he's talking about. For we are God's masterpiece. I'm looking at God's masterpiece today. Notice what it says. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. I don't know if you caught the last part of that verse or not. So we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Your life is not an accident. You are not here by luck or by chance. It is no mistake that you are alive at this moment in history. I mean, because God could have placed you upon planet Earth at any time He chose. You and I had no say in it whatsoever, but He chose by His sovereign providence to place you upon planet Earth at this moment in history. And listen, Christian, God has a plan for your life. God has good things. It says there in Ephesians 2.10, God has good things He wants you to do that He's planned them long ago. Good things He wants to do through you and with you for His glory. Now, I bring all of this up because a lot of times we forget this. We're not looking for these good things. We're not excited for these good things. And in reality, we don't always even notice these good things that God has planned for us even as we experience them. Now, we come today, you know, last week, if you were here, we started a brand new sermon series on the life of John the Baptist. We're calling the series Forerunner. And today we come to the birth of John the Baptist. And to be honest with you, at first glance, things seem very, very normal. I mean, now, if you remember the father, uh, his father, Zacharias, cannot speak at the moment. Um, last week we studied where he had an angelic encounter and the angel Gabriel told him that John was going to be born, but Zacharias and Elizabeth were old and, and, and Zacharias just didn't quite believe it. Is this possible? And so you remember he was struck where he could not speak. And so here we find ourselves nine months later. And you're there by now, I'm sure, in Luke chapter 1. I want to encourage you to leave your Scripture open. We're going to walk through the passage. Today's a little bit different uh, message, so keep your Bible open. We'll walk through the passage together. But we'll begin there at Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 57. 
And we'll read 57 and 58 to start. It says in Luke 1, 57 and 58, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now this is a happy time. Elizabeth had been barren. I mean, they had prayed for years for the Lord to give them a child. It seemed their prayers were not heard. They were past those days in their life, they thought. And now here, there's a baby. And there's an answer to prayer. And neighbors and relatives come and they rejoice with Elizabeth and with Zacharias because John, not yet named that, we'll see in a moment, but John has come, he's, he's born. It was a happy occasion. It was quite normal. Look at verse 59. So it was on the eighth day, they were doing this according to the law, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. Now this was also standard practice, what they're doing here. And things are kind of progressing along nicely until we get to this point. Look at verse 60. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. Now here's where things get interesting in the passage. Up to this point, everything's pretty normal. Up to this point, they've come together to circumcise the child. They've come together to name the child. They're all rejoicing. They're celebrating. I guess they probably brought casseroles and baby blankets. And the whole nine yards like we do, they're rejoicing in the birth of this child to this older couple. But now, right as they're about to name the child Zacharias, mom speaks up and says, no, his name will be John. Now look at verses 61 and 62. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him call. Now, I've got to tell you that some scholars believe that Zacharias was not only mute, that is, he could not speak, but based upon what we just read, some believe that he couldn't hear either because it says they made signs to the Father. And we're not sure about that. When we get to heaven, we can ask and make sure and say, hey, Zach, were you mute or were you also deaf? But we're just guessing at the moment. But whether he could or could not hear, they made signs. I don't know if it was just simply like, Mom says, no, his name's John. And they went, I don't know if that's what happened. Or if they literally had to make signs to him because he could not hear. Look at verse 63. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. I want you to notice the firmness in John's response. There's no room for debate. He said his name is John. Why? Because we learned last week that when the angel Gabriel came and appeared to Zacharias there in the temple as he was offering incense, the angel said, you shall call his name John. That's in chapter 1, verse 13. And then at the end of verse 63, it says that the neighbors, the relatives, those who were there that day, they marveled. This was not normal operating procedure. This was against the way things normally went. To name a child uh, after no one? I mean, no one in the family had this name. And look at verse 64. Immediately his mouth, that is Zacharias' mouth, was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Now think about it. For nine months, this aged priest could not speak. I mean, he had an angelic encounter in the temple. He was told this remarkable news 
that his barren wife was going to bear a son. They would call him John. Of course, he knows more information as this is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah himself. But the moment that he wrote down the words, he scrawled out the words on that tablet. His name is John. In obedience to God, his tongue is loosed and he begins praising the Lord. And, And the folks present that day were reminded that there was more than meets the eye with the birth of this baby that they are naming John. Now go back, look at verses 65 and 66 with me. Then fear came on all who dwell around them. And all these sayings were discussed about all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, Zacharias speaking led others to speak and to discuss and to wonder and to hope, it seems, what kind of child is this going to be? Now, you remember they didn't have television and they didn't have the Internet and they didn't have cell phones and they didn't have long newspapers and all those things that we have. Uh, They're in a time and a culture where there was time to talk, there was time to discuss, and I think that village news was big-time news. And I think word kind of run throughout the, ran throughout the village there talking about, did you hear what happened over at Zacharias and um, Elizabeth's place? She had a new baby. And, you know, Zacharias hadn't been able to talk. I mean, the whole time she's been pregnant. And all of a sudden we went over there and we're going to circumcise him and name him Zacharias. I said, no, he's going to be John. And he wrote down, and then he, his mouth was loose. He began to talk, he began to praise, and word of this began to spread. And the end of verse 66 we just read kind of gives us the key to John's life where it says there, and the hand of the Lord was with him. The hand of the Lord was evident in John's life. The hand of blessing, the hand of protection, the hand of guidance, the hand of provision, the hand of presence. What a wonderful thing to ask of the Lord for our own children and grandchildren. Can I encourage you parents, can I encourage you grandparents to pray a prayer like that? to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, would your hand, would you place your hand upon my son? Would you place your hand upon my daughter? Would your hand be evident in their life as they walk throughout life? If they're not saved, maybe they're young, they're still growing up, Lord, would you bring them to salvation in Jesus Christ? Lord, would you bless them? Would you help them to love you? Would you help them to serve you? Lord, would your hand be in their life? Guide them, protect them, show them the path. Show them the direction to take. Every day of their life, as they go to school, as they go to middle school, as they go to high school, as they go to college, as they go in their first job, in every area of their life, would your hand, Lord, be present upon my child, be present upon my grandchild? Would your hand be upon them, Lord? Would you just lay your hand on them and guide them? Because John here, we see that the Lord's hand was upon him. What a wonderful thing to ask for our own children. Now, Zacharias couldn't speak for all of these months, but now he can. And he moves from praising the Lord to prophesying in verses 68 through 79. Now, before we look at this prophecy, please note what it says in verse 67. Now, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... So I read that and I want to just point out to you before we look at the prophecy, these are not just the words of a proud papa. 
I mean, they are the words of a proud papa. Can you imagine? You've been waiting all this time and you've been praying for years and no child. And now you have a baby boy and not just any baby boy, the forerunner, the one's going to go before the Messiah you've been waiting for for all this time. But the words he's going to speak are more than just the words of a proud papa. It says here he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He prophesied. These are the words of God, just like all of Scripture. Is the Word of God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, the prophecy we're about to read is known as the Benedictus. The Benedictus. And it's called that because it's taken from the Latin for the first word of it. So when you think about the Benedictus here, it's just called that because of the first word. In our English Bibles, we have verses. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. But please note that what we're about to read in verses 68 through 75 in the Greek, it's a single sentence. It's a long sentence. Verses 68 through 75 is a single sentence in the original Greek. And the prophecy breaks down basically into two parts. The first part is about God sending the promised Messiah. And the second part of this prophecy is about the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. So you can think about it this part or this way if you want. The first part is about God sending Jesus and the second part is about God sending John the Baptist. All right? So let's look at the first part together. You're still there in Luke. Let's drop down to verse 68. I told you a little bit different today. We're kind of walking through the Scripture, uh, talking about what it means and drawing out some lessons as we go. I will give you an outline, by the way. If you say we have to have an outline, I will give you an outline before we're done. So don't leave, all right? So if you're taking notes, I will give you a quick outline. But let's walk through this prophecy, the first part, verses 68 through 75. Look at what he says. These are the words of the Lord through his prophet, if you will, the prophecy of Zacharias. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. <clears throat> now it's interesting to note that even though Jesus has not yet been born, at this time you remember he's literally in the womb of Mary the Virgin Mary. Mary has just been for a visit with Zacharias and Elizabeth. Some believe she stayed right up to the point of the birth and assisted. We're not sure about that, but if you read uh, the verse prior to our passage today, some believe that's the idea there. But the Messiah is still in the womb of Mary at this point. But Zacharias speaks in the past tense in verse 68. Did you notice that? He said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed his people. In other words, it's already a done deal. In other words, this is faith talking here. I mean, he knows not only that God has sent the Messiah, the Messiah is currently in the womb of the Virgin Mary who's just visited with them. He sent the forerunner. They've been waiting all these years after 400 years of silence and, and no prophets and nothing. God has begun to work to bring about the Messiah. Zacharias looks back and he mentions uh, the history he mentions David and he mentions the holy prophets and he mentions the fathers 
And he mentions the promise, the covenant that is given to Abraham. You remember that God made a covenant with Abraham. And he told him he was going to have heirs and that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. In other words, the Messiah was going to come through the line of Abraham. And God is keeping His promise here. We've got to remember that Zacharias and Elizabeth and all these people, they're living in real time. We have the advantage of the whole story. We have the advantage of looking back. We have the advantage of being in 2021, reading the Bible. We say, oh yeah, but listen, at the point He says these words, Jesus has not even been born yet. So there's no, been no cross, no empty tomb he hasn't even yet had them big Christmas yet, if you will. I mean, he's still in the womb of the Virgin Mary. They've been waiting for all these years for the promised Messiah. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, we see the promise of the one who's going to come and deliver uh, there. And, and all throughout Scripture and all throughout history, and now in real time, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting like all the others that were anticipating the Messiah. And now finally... That day is coming. Don't lose the wonder of His words because we live on this side of the cross. Don't read 2021 into this biblical text. God had promised a Redeemer. And He's making good on the promise. And this aged priest, He's watching these things unfold right before His eyes. Now think about, think about a prayer that you've been praying for for a long time. Someone in our church family shared with me they had an answer to prayer they've been praying for for a very long time. And I rejoiced in hearing that. But you know, when you see an answer to prayer that you've been praying for for a long time, boy, doesn't it just excite you and bless you in such a wonderful way? And let me just encourage you to keep praying. But imagine the Jewish people waiting for hundreds of years and just year after year after year, hoping, waiting, hoping, waiting. And now Zacharias realizes, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's prophesying, the Messiah is here. In fact, the Messiah is in the womb of his, his virgin mother um, who just been here re- recently. Look at verse 56, by the way. We'll back up for a moment. It says, And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. Now, I imagine that being mute, not being able to talk, I've never experienced that. You say, we know. But uh, actually, in, in all honesty, when I was growing up, I, I had a, a speech impediment and you couldn't understand me. Uh, but they said that still didn't stop me from talking. I still went on anyway. Um, so I've never experienced... But imagine you can't talk. I don't mean maybe you've got a, a sore throat. We've all maybe experienced that or laryngitis or hoarse. But I want you to imagine you can't speak for nine months. Nine months. And, and you can't speak and you just experienced the, the greatest news you've ever experienced. I mean, you just had an angelic encounter and you cannot speak. That's where Zacharias found himself. I think being mute, and some believe possibly deaf or not told, for nine months will give you a lot of time to think and to pray and to meditate and to ponder. Um, Maybe go back and search the Old Testament Scriptures. In fact, in his prophecy that we're looking at at the moment, I'm told it has at least 16 Old Testament allusions or quotations in it. In other words, it's drenched with Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture. And there are those today who say, you know, we really need to unhitch from the Old Testament, kind of get rid of the Old Testament, not focus on the Old Testament. Can I just remind you today uh, that the Old Testament is all about Jesus? It's the unfolding of the redemption plan. If you get rid of the Old Testament, there's so much we don't understand 
there's so much we would be scratching our heads about. Zacharias here is saying that God made an oath, the Holy Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, and God is keeping... Can I just remind you, God always does keep His Word. God always keeps His Word. He always fulfills His promises. His Word is faithful and true. And so if you are standing upon the promise of God, if, if you're standing upon the Scripture, if, you're, if you're, the Lord has spoken to you through His Word and, and maybe He's brought out a particular verse or passage as He often does in my life. In fact, I was reading my devotional time this past week and, and, and I read in various things. It's like the same passage came up like two or three times it seemed that day. Just the same passage. And whenever that happens, I begin to wonder what the world's the Lord going to do? What, what exactly is coming? What is it that He's in uh, getting you ready for? But God always keeps His Word. God always keeps His promise even when it seems like it's been a long time. And indeed, it has been a long time. This brings us to the second part of our prophecy where we turn our attention from God and the Messiah, from Jesus, to John the Baptist's role in the plan. If I were to outline this for a sermon, <laughs> you say, well, I thought you were. Well, anyway, I'll just give you a quick outline. What we have in this passage is we have Zacharias praising the Lord. We have Zacharias prophesying for the Lord. And then we have Zacharias, I'm going to say at this point, parenting for the Lord. Um, praising, prophesying, and parenting. Now, I mentioned the parenting part because these words come in the midst of the prophecy. But the words we're about to read here, the latter part of the prophecy, he's speaking these, filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, but he's also speaking them as a daddy. He's speaking them as a father, as a parent. As we come down to these, these next verses, I can almost picture... Zacharias, in my mind, taking the little baby, remember he's eight, day, eight days old at this point, taking John the Baptist in his arms and looking at him, maybe as he's saying these words, this time verses 76 through 79. If you would kind of put that picture, that image in your mind, Zacharias, there with eight-day-old eight John the Baptist, he's there, and he says these words beginning at verse 76. And you, child will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What we find here is John the Baptist is speaking truth, the truth of the Word of God. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking the Word of God over his baby son. Now, parents, this reminds me, we need to always be speaking the truth of the Word of God over our, parent, over our children. Grandparents, speak the truth of the Word of God over your grandchildren. Speak the truth. Listen, the world is screaming at them. The world screams at all of us, doesn't it? I mean, just everywhere you turn. The messages are bold. They're in our face. Uh, most of them are not in line with God's Word, it seems. And so we need to make sure that we're speaking the truth over our children, speaking the truth into our children's lives. I think a lot of times parents make this too difficult. Um, they set out, and, and of course, I'm not going to discourage you 
informal times of instruction. And, and there are families who choose to have devotional times with their families and, and sit down and do various things. And, and you do what God leads you to do. But when I look at the Scripture, I see it talks about as you walk along the path, as you lie down, as you sit, as you rise up. In other words, as you're doing life with your children, interject the truth of the Word of God in there. I mean, constantly point them to the Lord. It's, we make it so hard. I mean, it's as simple as even a young child going out on a beautiful day and just looking at all the creation and saying, you know what? God created all of this. Isn't He a wonderful God? Isn't He a wonderful artist? I love to walk and, and pray and, and, and some, a lot of mornings I say, Lord, you've outdone yourself today. The, the beautiful canvas that you've painted this day. Just pointing them, speaking the truth over their lives, realizing we've already said it, that God has a plan for our lives. We're not here by accident. And you're not a mom and dad of those children by accident. They were providentially chosen and placed in your care. And may that be an encouragement to you on the hardest days of life. I mean, when the laundry's piling up and the bills are piling up and there's people crying in that room and somebody's Somebody scraped their knee over there and that one's complaining about homework and you're trying to get that one to do piano lessons and, and just on and on it goes to know that God in His wisdom and sovereignty, He selected you to parent those children. Speak God's truth over their lives. Now for John, he had a special mission. I said, your child has a plan too. God has a plan for them. But here, let's talk about John's plan. He was the forerunner of the day spring. That is the Lord Jesus, the Savior. He's going to prepare the way uh, for the one who is coming. He's going to point others to the light and guide them in the way of peace. In a sense, his mission was special. It was only something that John the Baptist could do. But in another sense, as I thought about this and studied this, we're all called to do this in a sense. We're all to point others to Jesus. We're ambassadors for Christ. If we know Christ as Savior and Lord, by the way, if you don't, please repent of your sin and take Christ today. But as believers, our job too is to point others to Jesus. To point others to the light. All around us, people are seated in darkness and, and, and death and they need Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, just like Jesus we don't have much information on his early days. We come down to verse number 80. Luke 1.80. And Luke covers about 30 years in this one verse. <laughs> Talk about efficiency. Look at what he says about John in verse 80. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts, or your translation may say wilderness, till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So we have the birth of John, and then we have this one verse that covers about 30 years. It tells us that John grew physically. The child grew, just as all normal, healthy children do. It says that he grew spiritually. That is, he became strong in spirit. And that is our prayer for our children as well. They will grow not only physically, but spiritually and at some point, John dwelt out in the desert or wilderness until the days of his public ministry began. You know, much of life is like this. There are many years that pass that seem perhaps uneventful or mundane or even boring. As I said, a lot of life, I mean, let's think about life for a moment. A lot of life is 
is dishes and laundry and mowing the grass, taking the car in for an oil change and going to the dentist and doing your yearly doctor checkup and doing homework and doing chores and doing work things and filing taxes and cooking supper and, and cooking breakfast and cooking lunch and going to the grocery store. And, I mean, that's a lot of life, isn't it? You know, they, they do those studies where they say you spend so many years doing this and so many years doing that. And the problem with those studies is they're kind of depressing when you realize how many years you spend doing some of those things. But I bring that up because John went through all the normal things at that time frame that a child would in growing up. And Zacharias and Elizabeth and John in their home they grew up like other boys. And no doubt John was used by God and in, in blessed ways throughout his life. And Zacharias and Elizabeth were blessed and were a blessing, but, but much of his life was preparation. And that's one reason why, why we have to have, beloved, a, a, a bigger view and a bigger vision of life to see beyond just the earthly life and the monotony and sometimes the mundane uh, events that happen and see that there's a much bigger picture at work. The lessons that God developed over these hidden years, these years that are summarized in Luke 180, prepared him and served him for his public ministry. And I want everybody to catch that in closing today because maybe you feel kind of stuck in some of the same situations and doing some of the same things and it seems that life just rolls on and, and one day falls into another and then another. You're not here going through that by accident. You're here by appointment. And God wants to be present in those days in your life, and He is present. And God is developing you and teaching you and growing you and molding you and shaping you and, and working in you and your family members' lives. The ultimate goal is to make you like Jesus. Now, we don't always have the insider information like John and his family had. And we don't know how much John knew early on and how much Zacharias and, and Elizabeth shared. I'm sure they did share with him. Most of us, we live life one day at a time, right? And, and we don't always know exactly what all those great plans are that, that God has for us. But what a joy to know that we can faithfully walk with Him day by day knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. He has a plan and a purpose. And I, I'm afraid that we think a lot of times that the plan and purpose are, is something great and huge and, and monumental. Maybe it is. but we need to begin looking for God's plan and purpose while we're stacking the dirty dishes and we're doing another load of laundry and we're going to take the kids to school for the thousandth time. God has a plan and purpose for your life. Remember that the next time you look at your child. God has a plan and purpose for their life. And remember that the next time you look in a mirror. Because what you see in the mirror, that person, God has a plan and purpose for your life. And so I close with the way I opened in Ephesians 2.10, reminding you, reminding me that we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do those good things that He planned for us.
so long ago. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Now, Father, I want to thank you for your hand upon our lives. And I want to thank you, Lord, that we're not here by accident, but by appointment. May we open our eyes in faith and begin looking around, counting our blessings, yes, but also looking for these plans, these purposes in our life and serving You in them, and praising You in them, and glorifying You in them. Lord, may these lessons we've learned today be in operation in our own lives. Help us, Lord, to love You, and to serve You, and to look to You. We pray Your blessings upon each one, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're out of time. Thank you for your patience. We're just going to sing one verse of our closing hymn and then we'll send you on your way. But I hope you'll take these lessons to heart, especially on the long days. Especially on the long days. Let's stand together. We're going to sing just one verse in closing. 304, crown him with many crowns. Thank you for listening today. We trust that our time together was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and of course on our website at redhillbaptist.org. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.